Look, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely know the value of automation. That's why I want to tell you about my free automations library. If you want some of my best automations for free, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash automate. We talk about automation a lot on this show, and it's because I think it's the best way for podcasters, creators, and solopreneurs to become more efficient and more profitable. So if you want to start automating, but you're not sure where to, well, start, you can get ahead of the game with 14 of my favorite automations across a bunch of tools like Zapier, Make, Hazel, and Apple's Shortcuts. These are automations I use every day to help me run my business, and I know that you're going to love them. Again, you can get them for free over at howibuilt.it slash automate. That's howibuilt.it slash A-U-T-O-M-A-T-E. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built Bits, a clip show that surfaces some of the best advice from nearly 300 interviews of How I Built It in 15 minutes or less. The clock's ticking, so let's dive into this clip from Brian Cogsgard on determining your membership benefits and preventing churn. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by WP Wallet. Do you manage websites for clients? Do you feel on the hook for the cost of premium plugins? WP Wallet fixes that. WP Wallet is a free, simple, intelligent tool that helps WordPress professionals like you manage all your license keys and invoices for all your sites and clients. Sign up for a free account, connect a website, and WP Wallet automatically scans that site for plugins and marks the premium ones, even adding prices. No more making the decision of buying the plugin yourself or talking your client through the purchase process. WP Wallet gives you the best of both worlds. As someone who's managed multiple WordPress sites with premium plugins, this tool is a lifesaver. It will even allow you to send recurring invoices to your clients that could be paid on the spot. Never forget a renewal, lose a license key, or miss out on a reimbursement again. Join WP Wallet for free at wpwallet.com slash joe. Two of the people you just mentioned are in a mastermind group with me. And those those folks were instrumental even prior to our mastermind existing, you know, we kind of came together because we were friends and I was seeking advice of other people with similar uh, positions in life. So um, people that are relatively self-employed in an e-commerce landscape, whether it's like mine, where it's a digital service product or like Sean's is a, 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 a teaching course product. Um, and we, uh, you know, I chatted with them and I asked them their advice on on what they thought the right direction was, what the right features would be. Um, I really went to people that I looked up to. Um, you know, another example is Tom Wilmot. He's the CEO of Human Made, and he's always been a great supporter of Post Status. And uh, he was a, he was a great encouragement because when I was talking about the future of Post Status, he's he said. If you do this, I'll buy a membership for everyone in my company. Um, so, <laughs> so not only was that awesome in terms of uh, a potential um, amount of business, but it was also 
it gave me an idea of, hey, maybe I should offer a corporate deal for companies that want to provide post status for their uh, for their employees. So conversations like that really helped uh, me establish what the benefits would be, what the business plan would be. Chris Lima has been an advisor to me over the years in several capacities. And uh, obviously, I, 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 I went to him for feedback on a variety of things. Um, but usually, I just drafted something, whether it was the pricing or the benefits. And then I'd go to people and say, hey, is this a good idea? Um, and I still do that today. I'm doing my first event. And when I was drafting the sponsorship agreements and like what the sponsors would get and stuff, I actually went to two people that I was then going to ask them to sponsor. But I was like, hey, this is what I'm thinking in terms of the sponsor landscape for this event. Uh, Is this a good idea? And is this the type of information that you value? So I've always thought that transparency in what you're thinking is going to get you a long way in terms of getting equity with the people that you want to be your customers or your sponsors or whatever. Um, So usually I just go straight to the people that I want to give me money and I ask them, like, are these the benefits and are these the features that are going to encourage you to give me that money? Um, And that works pretty well. I've I've had a lot of success with that. Nice. That's great. That, and I, I'm quickly learning that I've always had a problem with a personal problem, like not like this, it's wrong. I've had a personal problem with just asking people for money. I, that's always been really hard for me to do. I figured if people wanted to give me money, they would give me money, but that's not always the case. Uh, and so I'm, I'm learning with, especially finding sponsors for this podcast, just asking, Hey, do you want to throw me 99 bucks to sponsor an episode? You know, and more often than not, people are saying yes, which is very, very encouraging. Uh, because at, at the point of this, uh, recording, there is zero episodes out. So, you know, so it's, it's nice to know that people trust you enough to do that. So, and people aren't betting on your podcast. They're betting on the fact that it's you producing it and you have a history of following through on things. So that, that matters in a scenario like that. Uh, I have to, I, I have this thing in my head based on what you said about, you have to ask, could you imagine software or software as a service companies that charge money? If they all just said, here's our software as a service and a donate button, like, <laughs> can would <laughs> would their revenue be the same? Absolutely not. But no one no one's mad at them for saying, you know, this is our pricing and this is how much it costs to use our service. People aren't mad about you asking for money, um, but they do expect a return on that, some value that they're going to get out of your your service or whatever you're providing. But if you offer it for free, most people are going to take that. So in, in, and even if you say, hey, you got this for free, now where's the donate button? Like the, 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 the minority of people are going to do that. Like of the people in the world that use Wikipedia, very few follow through with Jimmy Wales' pleas for donations. <laughs> I know. And you're basically looking him right in the eye when he asks for those donations. <laughs> yeah, it's right there at the top of the page. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, I was talking to this uh, uh, actually with Chris uh, Lemma when we were out in Minneapolis. Uh, I guess there was a, a conference, or when conferences do this, right? They'll say, you can pay X amount of money to come to the conference or you can stream it for free online. And then they wonder why they're not selling tickets. You know, it's like saying, Oh, I'll sell you the black t-shirt for 10 bucks or I'll give you the white t-shirt. So 
Yeah. What they're doing in that scenario is they're basically telling you, and this is why I have trouble with free streaming events, because you're saying the only value that you get out of the ticket price is the hallway track and the people. And there is a ton of value there, but you're you're basically saying we are not we're not willing to showcase the value of the talks themselves. I love free streaming events and but it's hard to say whether it would impact my decision to go to the event or just stream it because it's a lot easier to stay at home and stream an event if it's the talks that you're interested in. My theory though is a lot of events especially um people are just as or more interested in the hallway track so I understand the bet that people are making there but I'm all for charging for the streaming uh of an event because I feel like you should be assigning value to those talks. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to undervalue the work that the speak your speakers are doing, especially. So, cool. Uh, so, uh, at this point, we're about halfway through our conversation. Uh, so, I want to ask the title question. Uh, you have post status. You've talked to people. You have been writing for a while. How did you build the site? Uh, so, I quit my job, and um, I had I gave myself about a month. Between right before Christmas to January 21st. And I announced, I think I announced my launch date. Like I was, I said, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to do this thing now. I'm, I'm giving myself one month to, to build it. Um, so I just went heads down and worked every day and set a game plan. Um, and that in, involved the whole nine. Like I didn't make any decisions ahead of time in terms of saying this is the software I'm going to use in terms of which plugins. I knew it was going to be on WordPress because I'm a it's a WordPress publication. Um, but you know I was analyzing the pros and cons between uh, you know WooCommerce and Restrict Content Pro and Memberful and iThemes Exchange and trying to figure out hey what am I going to use what's going to work best for me. I ended up going with WooCommerce. Um, with WooCommerce subscriptions, uh, which allows the recurring revenue. I had some important things that I wanted to make sure I was doing. One was I wanted to create automated renewals um, so that it was easy for people to just not do anything and then renew the next year. But I wanted to make it easy, obviously, for people to cancel. But historically, other plugin makers and services in general have shown that uh, people are your renewal rate is going to be way higher if you just don't do anything and just let people renew. And I wanted to give people a reminder that their renewal was coming up so that I wasn't like pulling one on them. Um, so I send a renewal email a couple days before the renewal itself and say, hey, this is about to automatically renew, et cetera. So WooCommerce subscriptions helps me handle that. In terms of other stuff on the on the website, eventually there will be things that are not the content restriction itself. Um, so that's the other big reason I went with WooCommerce is because you can do more than uh, you know just the content restriction with WooCommerce. It can be a store of any sort. So if I sell a physical product or if I sell a digital product or if I sell an event ticket, all those things you can do with WooCommerce. It's a very robust solution. It's not the simplest solution. If you're just doing memberships or something, if you're just doing content restriction, there are probably options that will cause you fewer headaches. Um, but for me, WooCommerce was the, the right choice. I also rely greatly on MailChimp. So uh, creating a MailChimp template template that was going to work. I figured the only way a membership 
content restriction website was going to be successful is if I jumped, if I delivered every piece, every word that I wrote for people, if I delivered it to them in full in email, because if I make them log in and read, they're not going to do it. And then they're not going to gain value. But if I throw, if I send them the, uh, the content in the email in full, then they're going to open their email and read it because it's part of their day. They read their email. Uh, Email is so valuable and a members only thing that I could not do without MailChimp. I could do without just about anything, but I could not do without MailChimp. And then several months after I launched, I had been contemplating maybe a forum or something. And Slack was really gaining a lot of popularity a year and a half ago when I launched. And I decided after a couple months, I did a poll and said, hey, would y'all be interested in a Slack channel or a forum or both or neither? And I got mixed feedback, but there was a little bit of a trend saying I would use a Slack channel. And that has turned into both a great sales tool and probably the biggest benefit for at least half the members, because not everybody reads a newsletter, um, even though that's where I put my heart and soul into trying to make good content. Not everybody reads it, um, but a lot of people use the Slack channel and love it. And What's fascinating is it's provided a venue for people to connect with one another. Something like 75% of all messages in my Slack channel are through direct messages, not even in the public channels. So out of however many six, 7,000 messages per week um, from, the, from the members, uh, the huge majority are direct messages. So people are talking to each other um, and finding value in the Slack, even outside of the public channels. Man, I could tell you that uh, when I got my membership, it proved its worth in the first week, and the Slack channel is what did it. I just asked questions and got great feedback and and made connections with people. So everything you're saying there is absolutely true. And like the the newsletter is also excellent. but i I was immediately immersed in the Slack channel first. So you know, I started using that before the first email came. So uh, just right off the bat, I, I knew it was worth the ninety nine bucks a year because it's it ends up saving me however much money in doing research and, and finding tools and stuff like that, getting user feedback. So did it, did it take you a long time to start getting members? It depends on how you phrase that. Uh, the first like 100 to 150 came very quickly. Um, I, because I, I was the whole month that I, I was building this, um, I had told people, hey, I'm leaving my job. I'm going full-time on post-status. And I'm going to launch this sucker in about a month. And then people knew what to expect uh, in terms of that it was coming. So when it did come, it wasn't a surprise to people. And some people were prepared to to join. Um, so I think the first day was like maybe 70 people, uh, something like that. And then the first 150 were within a few weeks. And then things started leveling off. But if you look at like January, February, March of my revenue, it's really high, a little bit lower, a little bit lower, and then it create and then there's a trend that started to 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 happen in terms of how many new new members I should expect a month. Um so my goal is like basically I want a new member um every business day. It's like a decent thought process for me. So if I get 25 new members a month then that's pretty good. Um but I didn't even know what the trend line was going to be until like 
July and August after launching in January because it's a yearly thing and you just don't know what it's going to be like. And then you don't know what it's going to be like because you don't have any renewals for a year. So now that we're in August of the next year, now I'm getting a better understanding finally of what it looks like in terms of long-term new memberships versus long-term churn of people that decide not to renew. And that gives me an idea for, hey, is this something that can grow and scale, or am I always fighting to just catch up with churn? Um, so those are some of the interesting business model things that I've been able to finally get a, a feel for. And I still, it's still not perfect, and, and I'm starting to see some of the work to do. But if you're considering any sort of recurring revenue business, that's super important to, to look into. All right, that's it for this bit. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe to How I Built It and join the mailing list to get more bite-sized advice for creators and small business owners. You can do both of those things at howibuilt.it slash subscribe. I'm Joe Casabona, and until next time, get out there and build something.